Join me, if you would, in the book of Zechariah, Zechariah chapter 9. The Gospel according to Zechariah. We find all over the Scriptures, and I find in this passage of Scripture that we're going to read tonight, in this ninth chapter of Zechariah, that every obstacle, every obstacle to the salvation of God's elect he removes every obstacle that comes between God's elect and God. He removes. We cannot do it ourselves because we're incapable in our dead and undone state. Salvation is of the Lord. And along with that, we find that the, he is the author and finisher of our faith. And we pray that God would grant repentance. So everything is from God. Everything is from Him. God would grant repentance to the Gentiles. He granted repentance to some Jews. Then the prayer was God would grant repentance to some Gentiles. And the only ones He grants faith to, the only one He grants repentance to, the only one that really understand that salvation is of the Lord is His elect. And that's His intent to save every one of them and lose none. Well, we're here in the ninth chapter of the book of Zechariah, and we find in this passage of Scripture, as we read last week, in verse 9, and it's a passage of Scripture that is presented in the New Testament. The Lord is the one that brings this up in the New Testament to go over to a street called Straight, and there they will find a colt, or they will find... Uh, an ass and the colt, the foal of an ass, and that he was going to ride this into town. Well, over here in the book of Zechariah, we have it mentioned in so uh, beautiful a language as it's mentioned here. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, rejoice greatly. And the, the ministry and the message of Christ to his people is truly a point of rejoicing. It is that which encourages us every day. It is that which puts us in a positive frame of mind every day is to rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, the church, and shout, O daughter of Jerusalem, Behold, thy king cometh. Now he came, he is coming, and he will come again. He comes every day for his people. He, he is the king of their life. He is the king of their salvation he is the king of their joy. He is their uh, uh, end all and be all to our salvation. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. As last week we mentioned that these are the criteria of our Savior. This is, this is the, uh, the character and attributes of our Savior. He is just, and the scriptures spend a lot of time declaring about the just or the righteousness of Christ. And then it tells us that he's having salvation, that he is actually going to save some people from their sins. He's actually going to ransom some people. He's actually going to redeem some people. He's actually going to be merciful to some people. He doesn't put them into a position that they, he can, if they consent to it, but he knows, and you know, it, it's foolishness on my part sometimes to just bring this up, but he, God knows our condition. And he knows what must be done in order to save them out of this condition. 
lowly and riding upon an ass, upon the colt, the foal of an ass. So he is king, and yet he is lowly, and yet he demonstrates here his kingship over every kingdom. You know, he's a king over the mineral kingdom, he's king over the plant kingdom, he's king over the animal kingdom, and he's king over every human being that has ever lived. Now, many uh, do not recognize him as such, but the church recognizes him as king of kings and lord of lords. Now, we get into verses 10 and 11, and we find that the Lord, God's care of his elect, this is what he's going to do for them. He is king, he is just, he has salvation, he is lowly, he's king over all things, and this is how he's going to demonstrate it. Now, he does it so many times in the scripture, but these two verses of scripture just exemplify what the Lord does on the behalf of his people. How he demonstrates that. It tells us here in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 10, And I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim, and the horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea, and from river even to the ends of the earth, as for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Now there is a lot said in those two verses of scripture about what God does on the behalf of his people. Now it's interesting here we have a name that's mentioned. It's the name Ephraim. And if you remember Ephraim, he's one of the sons of Joseph. And uh, these two boys, Joseph, uh, Manasseh and Ephraim, they are in many respects, adopted by their grandfather. And they get the same blessings as his children had. Now, Levi is let out, left out of the inheritance. And on good reason, he's left out. But the rest of those guys are going to inherit, and Joseph is going to really inherit twice through each of his sons. And you remember the experience that as Jacob was going to bless the sons, he crossed his hands and put the blessing, the right-hand blessing, on the youngest. And guess what? That's Ephraim. Now, Ephraim is mentioned 160-some-odd times in the Old Testament by name. So he's going to represent something. He's representing more than just a son uh, of uh, Joseph and a grandson of Jacob. He has a place that God speaks about him, and here we have it again in this passage of Scripture. It's interesting, if we go to the book of Hosea, that in the book of Hosea alone, Ephraim is mentioned. Now, that's only 10 chapters long. Ephraim is mentioned 38 times in that book alone. Now, he's mentioned more in the book of Hosea than any other book in the Old Testament. Quite a number of times in the book of Genesis, simply talking about this one person, but in the book of Hosea. Now, I would like to read a couple of passages in the book of Hosea to share with us what Ephraim represents. And it's going to make a significant uh, impact on us when we read here about what God is going to do to Ephraim in verse 10 of Zechariah chapter 9. So if you'll back up to that book right after the book of Daniel, the book of Hosea. Now, the book of Hosea has a wonderful story in it. Uh, truly, the account of our Savior, the Lord Jesus, going after a very unfaithful bride. And who is he talking about? You and I, the church, 
unfaithful to God before we were ever uh, uh, brought to the knowledge of salvation, unfaithful to God in our acts, unfaithful to God in our deeds, unfaithful to God in our mind, unfaithful to God. And yet Hosea is called on to hedge her about. And we just see the demonstration of the love of God in Christ Jesus towards the church, towards his elect in this person. But in this book of Hosea, some 38 times the name of Ephraim is mentioned. And would you turn with me first of all to Hosea chapter 4. I'm not going to read all of these accounts, but these couple of verses share with us what Ephraim has spoken of in the book of Hosea and much of the places that he has mentioned here in the Old Testament. The book of Hosea chapter 4 and verse 17, it says, Ephraim is joined to idols. Let him alone. Ephraim. Now, I read some that Ephraim represents the ten tribes of Israel. Now, whether that's true or not, there is some semblance to what they did. (laughs) Remember that Jeroboam said, if I don't do something, these folks are going to go down to Jerusalem and worship. So we'll put a bull over here, and we'll put a bull over here, and surely they'll stay here. Well, this is brought out when Jesus Christ is speaking to the woman at the well. You say, uh, we say, in this mountain we're to worship, and you say to go down to Jerusalem. Well, the Lord reveals himself, and that's where we worship. Well, anyway, that's still in effect many, many, many years later. So, here in the book of Hosea, chapter, if you'd look with me to chapter 5, chapter 5 and verse uh, 3, twice this word is mentioned, Ephraim is mentioned in this verse of scripture. It says here, I know Ephraim. And Israel is not hid from me. For now, O Ephraim, thou committest whoredom, and Israel is defiled. So we see this view that is brought out in the scripture concerning Ephraim. He's after idols. He is, uh, and I believe that the whoredom that he's committing here is the whoredom and worshiping false idols, not worshiping God. You know, in reality, couldn't. Without the grace of God, salvation is of the Lord. And then in verse 5 of that chapter, it says, And the pride of Israel doth testify to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity. Judah also shall fall with them. So we're going to find that pattern throughout the book of Hosea and much throughout the Old Testament. So when we get over to the book of Zechariah, chapter 9 and verse 10, it says, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim. Now, what is the chariot used for? It's used for warfare. The chariot is used for warfare. And the horse from Jerusalem, what is the horse used for? It's used for warfare. What is God sharing with us? He goes on to say, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace. So this is God's way of describing what he does for the elect. I will take care of the warfare. I will cut it off. Now, we don't cut it off. We don't, we're at war with God. We're called at enmity with God over there in the book of Romans. And that's our natural state to be enmity against God. And you know, the best demonstration of enmity towards God is what we had with regard to the word of God before we're saved. I don't believe that. I don't care what you tell me about that. I don't believe that. 
I believed it this way all my life, and I'm not going to change now. Heard that before. That's enmity against God. His word. His word. Having enmity towards the very word of God is such a demonstration about true enmity. So I, I can say myself, God has done a great big deal, and I, I can take care of the rest of it. And on and on it goes about how we demonstrate enmity. And then, you know, it just boils down to when we bring the gospel to someone and says, I don't care about that. I can, I can care less. That's enmity against God and God's word. So that's truly a demonstration. Well, here we find out that God is going to bring the peace. We don't sue for peace. He brings us peace. And how does he bring us peace? He brings us peace in the resurrection of us from our dead spiritual state. And in that resurrection, we are brought to peace. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Turn with me, if you would, over to the book of Psalm 46. Psalm 46. Back up to the Psalms in Psalm 46. And we find a number of places in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament that God is going to speak about the subject of causing war to cease. Now, natural man would like to think of this, that eventually there will be no warfare in this world. Well, that's not going to happen. It just seems to be a natural state of man to get jealous about someone else or their possessions and want it. We see it all about us all the time. And, you know, we have to be careful in our own estate not to be jealous. God help me not to be jealous because that just brings on a warfare. Well, here in the Psalm, Psalm 46 verse 9, let's read this passage of Scripture as we find that it is God Almighty that does what he needs to do on the behalf of his elect. He's the one that brings peace. Psalm 46 There in verse 9, it says, He maketh wars to cease. Now, he may do that literally. We find a number of times in the Old Testament when Israel is afraid. Here is all of the enemy against them. And God says, don't worry about it. I'm for you. They go into battle. and It's over. Or he sends them the noise of chariots and they leave anyway. He's able to do that. But the real place that he is able to cause war to cease is with us. Our attitude towards God, our attitude towards his word, our attitude towards him being in charge. We really like to think we're in charge, but we find out in salvation that he is in charge and we learn to be thankful for that. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth, God is going to take care of the salvation of his people wherever they are. And he will cause the war that is between natural man and God, he will cause it to cease. He is going to bring peace. We're going to have ourselves saying, as the Saul of Tarsus said on the road to Damascus, Lord, what would you have me to do? We will find ourselves desirous to be bond servants of the Lord. Because he is the one that has brought peace. He has brought the end of warfare. It tells us there in Psalm 46 and verse 9, as we finish that verse, he said, He breaketh the bow 
and cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. What a blessing God does on our behalf to take care of all the enmity and warfare that we have and every instrument of warfare. You know, some of the instruments of warfare that I had, I had to throw away. That's some of the books I was reading. Instruments of denying the very God and the Godhead of God. You know, we get enamored. We get enamored by writers. We get enamored. And yet, when God saves us, he changes our reading habits. We can't read some of the stuff that we used to read. We can't go where we used to go. And I'm talking more seriously about where we go to church. We just can't go there anymore. It it is not the truth of the gospel. We just cannot enter into that anymore. And God does that. He causes the warfare to cease. Well, and then as we heard read not too long ago in the book of Luke, He brings variance between the dad and the son and the mom and the daughter. He brings, you know, he didn't come to bring peace, but variance or warfare. And what that is, is, and I've never known of a believer that has an interest of breaking up the relationship that they have in the family. It's always the other way around. It's someone else's. I can't go, I can't, I can't be around you. You know, there's where it comes from. It's that enmity that people have against God. And when we give all the glory to God, all the salvation to God, I didn't do anything. He's the one that handled me. He's the one that broke the chariot. He's the one that broke the spear. He's the one that caused fire to burn and brought peace to me. People cannot handle that because they want to be involved in their own salvation. Well, looking at that verse, turn it. Uh, over to the book of Isaiah. This is a wonderful verse of scripture here in the book of Isaiah as we find what God does. He's the one that takes care of every obstacle. We've got this chariot in our hand. we got run by horses. God comes along and destroys the chariot and removes the horses and breaks the spear. Well, here in the book of Isaiah, chapter 2 and verse 4, we have this passage of scripture with regard to what God does on the behalf of his people he says and he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people and they shall beat their swords into plowshares you know what at one time was a variance what at one time brought up uh, trouble oh my goodness they were right you know what I had to say about Henry Mahan I hate that man and God brought it about where I could eat. Was, what's it going to tell us here? In Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. He says, And he shall, they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. When I was a kid in elementary school, we used to sing about that. Learn war no more. Well, it's not going to happen physically. But thank God it can happen spiritually. And he is the author of peace. He is the author of the destruction of what is between us and God. He's the author of to put away enmities. The author of peace. This is his job, his business on behalf of the church. So we are interested in not warfare, combat. No, he takes away that interest of challenging people he takes that away it's not in our interest to challenge people now we're going to be faithful to the gospel 
and we're going to present the gospel and declare the gospel as it's found in the scripture. But we're not going to run people off just because they don't agree with us on some point. We're going to encourage them, stay, stay, listen, listen. Well, beat our and their spears into pruning hooks. It's the harvest time. That's what he's talking about. It's the harvest time. We're not going to be doing that. And another thing that we want to notice here is the Lord never used external means. Never. He never used a sword and he never used a physical spear to convince anybody of anything. People and their warfare over religion never convinced anybody of anything. A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Now when God convinces us, it is for good. It's over. But when we convince somebody, they have just as easy to change their mind and go on. Well, this is brought up a number of times. Let's look at the book of Micah for just a moment. The book of Micah. The book of Micah chapter 5. Micah chapter 5 and verse 10. Micah chapter 5 and verse 10. And it shall come to pass in that day that I will cut off thy horses out of the midst of thee and I'll destroy the chariots. And I will cut off the cities of thy land and throw down all the strongholds. Isn't this interesting that God does all this activity? He's the one that overthrows the cities, us. He's the one that brings us down. He's the one that brings us to repentance. He's the one that brings us to faith. He's the one that does it all. We're in this mode, and yet God is so gracious to us to come against all of the things, all of the enemy that we have between us and God. He is the one that comes down and dispels it. He breaks it. And then it says in I, verse 12, will cut off the witchcrafts out of thy hand and shalt have no more soothsayers. Isn't that interesting? God's going to do all of this on the behalf of the church. We're nothing more when it comes to religion, soothsayers and witches. We're just nothing more. We just have all of these imaginations, all of these things that we have built up in our mind or we've been trained to be built up in our mind about what religion is and what God is and what salvation is. And thank God he comes and with a clean swath, cleans that out, washes us of all that imagination, that filthy stuff about religion and God and, and the Bible and everything else and causes us to see it for what it is. Now we have battle every day about this, but God is merciful never to lose us or let us go in that. So he just continues. God never uses external forces to bring anybody to repentance, never uses sword or spear, never used the open hand, slapped hand, or the law. Never has, never will. He's not going to do that. He brings his power to bear. He brings his power to bear with us. And with our deadness, he raises us. And in that instant, he gives us these things. He takes away all the offense. He takes away all of the, the, the chariots and all of the horses and everything that we're depending upon. And he causes us to trust him and trust him alone. Going back over there to the book of Zechariah. Zechariah. 
there in chapter 9 of the book of Zechariah. He said there in verse 10 again, And I'll cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. Two religious... You take what Ephraim or the ten tribes, and you take what the two tribes believed, and you could throw them in the air, and there wouldn't be a nickel's worth of difference. They had turned the worship in the temple into idolatry, and the ten tribes, they didn't worry about it. They just turned it into idolatry. There's not a nickel's worth of difference. You know, when Nancy and I were overseas, we went to some of the best architectures, churches. I love it. It's so beautiful. How you can stack up rocks that high without falling down over 500 years is just pretty engineering feat. All of that, you know, the whole mess of it. You take what they say they believe, and you take what they said they believed in the religion I grew up in, and you put them in a sack and you pull them out, you couldn't tell the difference. We just may have a different, we may not have a a spiritual quote-unquote leader in Rome, but we're going to have somebody that's really important to us. And we we don't believe God, we don't believe the Word, we don't believe anything, we're all in the same boat, it's all up to works. And then God comes and cleans the slate and gives us everything we need. And we don't argue about it. You know, it's mentioned over there in the book of Revelation, chapter 12. Would you turn with me to the book of Revelation, chapter 12? Revelation, chapter 12. It has some things to say about Satan in this passage of Scripture. And, you know, it's foolishness on anybody's part to say that they could overcome this this being, this created being of God. But we find here in Revelation chapter 12 how he can be overcome. And this is the only way. This is God's going to take care of the chariot and the horse. In Revelation chapter 12 verse 10, the scriptures share this, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God. Now there's a couple of messages right there. There, There's room to ruminate right there for a long time. Just right there. And the power of his Christ, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Thank God he's been cast down. How? By the cross. And they overcame him. Now, this is the only way. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. We're not in a warfare against him. The blood of the Lamb is in a warfare against him. And all he stood for. And by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. Therefore rejoice, ye heavens, and ye that dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth uh, and of the sea. For the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. What does the overcome? The blood of the Lamb. Not our blood, not our sweat. The blood of the Lamb. Now, going back there to the book of Zechariah, let's look at verse 11. We have a little time left here. Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 11, and we just continue on with God overcoming all the obstacles, everything that is in the way. It reminds me of what we find with regard to the cities of refuge. 
Someone else got rid of the debris. Every valley was exalted and every mountain was made low. That's just a beautiful picture of what God does. Someone else takes care of the debris. Someone else takes care of the path. Someone else takes care of getting there to the city of refuge, to the Lord Jesus Christ. Here in the book of Zechariah, chapter 7, verse 11, look at this. Chapter 7, verse 11, or chapter 9, excuse me, chapter 9, verse 11, it says, As for thee also, we're continuing on, as for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, I have sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. Now, isn't that interesting? Numbers, a couple of things are mentioned there. It is a pit, and in that pit there is no water. We're not looking to the scriptures in that pit. If we have a Bible, we're not looking to the scriptures. We're looking to our own faith. We're looking to our own works. We're looking to our own interests. But it's not the living water. It's not Christ that we're interested in. We cannot, we will not be interested in Christ in our dead and undone condition. It is only after regeneration that we get interested in this. And it is given, it's a gift to us that God gives. Now remember the last words of David mentioned in the book of 2 Samuel? Comes toward the end of his life, you know, to have, be able to say this towards the end of your life. When things have not gone very well. (laughs) You look at David's family. You look at David. And yet he is a man after God's own heart. Remember what God had to say about him. It doesn't matter what we think about him. God had that to say about him. What does that mean? He's one of my child, one of my children. I paid for him. I will never lose this this thought about him that he is a man after my own heart. What? I created his heart. I gave it to him. I'm the creator of life in this man. He's mine. Well, let's look over here in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 23. There's three or four verses of Scripture that we want to look at there that it brings out what David was thinking towards the end of his life. And this, he's just saying, God is, Christ is all my hope and all my salvation. It's not the same in my family. You know, we may raise them the best we can, but it doesn't mean that the outcome is going to be good on their behalf. Here in the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 23, verse 1, says, Now these are the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, And the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, the sweet psalmist of Israel. Now that's what God had to say about this man. And, you know, sometimes we are troubled by his life and what he did and his actions. I can't get too concerned because I have God's word on it. This is what he said. He's a man after my own heart. Take God's commentary on it. Why? Because that's what God thinks about every one of his children. He overlooks all of the nonsense, all of the futility, all of the sin, all of the degradation. He's a man after my own heart. I gave him. goes on to say there, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. He understood how he wrote the Psalms. The Spirit of God gave it to him. It wasn't his. And the God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me. What an interesting thought. The rock of Israel spake to me. That rock is Christ. That ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. 
and he shall be as the light of the morning when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made with me. Oh, to say those words. He hath made with me. Now, David never said, I made a covenant with him. He understood. He hath made a covenant with me. An everlasting covenant. In the everlasting covenant, God spoke of David. Every one of his children, every one of the elect was spoken of by God in the everlasting covenant. And he goes down here and says, Although my house be not so with God, yet with he hath made with me an everlasting covenant. You remember what we just read over here in the, in the, in the book of Zechariah? Chapter 9, verse 11. It said there, And as for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, have I sent forth thy prisoners. I got them out of the pit. By the blood of the everlasting covenant, I got them out of the pit. What's it say there in the Psalms? <laughs> I was in a horrible pit. In a miry clay, he hath brought me, he hath lifted me out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet on a rock, the solid rock, established by goings, and put a new song in my heart. So, I have set forth thy prisoners. Now, they are really prisoners, bound hand and feet by sin. They can't speak, they can't see. I remember, I read an article just recently by a pastor down there in... in um, uh, San Diego he said I could shoot an arrow into a corpse and he's not the arrow of truth and he's not even going to move I could shout the truth and he's not going to hear it but when he's made alive alright goes on to say here with regard to David although Yet he hath made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things. One thing about this covenant, it has order to it. It is God the creator of it. It's the God the author of it. He's the author and finisher of this covenant. He hath ordered in all things and sure, for this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he make it not to grow. Now that, you just look at some of the children of David. Probably some of his wives. <laughs> but with me, with me, he hath made an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and you know what? It is sure. It will be carried out. The blood of Jesus Christ avails. Going back there to the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 11, As for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant, he brought me out of a horrible pit, he set me on a solid rock. This is God's actions. Nobody climbs out. We're taken out. It is the everlasting covenant that works upon. God removes every obstacle. Everything that is between us and God. He removes it. And then he creates life. He gives us the new birth. He regenerates us. He causes us to see him, hear him, to be in him. He, he does it all. He, is, uh, uh, he just does it all. He does everything that is required. 
and he brings it out here in figurative language in this book of Zechariah. I'm the king. I'm just and I have salvation. I'm lowly. I'm going to come down to this earth and I'm going to give my life a ransom. Though I'm king over all kingdoms, I can demonstrate that by what I'm going to do to that donkey. I'm going to ride it and I won't have any reins on it and I won't have to move my feet to kick it on one side or the other side. It's going to follow my absolute will into that city. And guess what? A whole bunch of rabble is going to break those vines down or those palm leaves down and throw and straw the, the, the street with their clothes and yell Hosanna and it's not going to be long. Those same people are going to be in the street crying, crucify him. Crucify him. So, rejoice greatly. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off. And he shall speak peace unto the heathen, and his dominion shall be from sea even to sea. I like that everywhere. He hasn't, nothing is going to be escaped from him. And from the river even to the ends of the earth, as for thee also, by the blood of thy covenant have I sent forth thy prisoners out of the pit wherein is no water. That's what God does. And he does it so grandly, so perfectly. And we have demonstration of that in every one of the disciples, all the Old Testament prophets, and today in the church of the living God is a demonstration of what God continues to do and will continue to do until the last one of his lost sheep is found, regenerated, brought into the fold, and hallelujah, this is all going to be folded up in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and on the right hand, welcome thou good and faithful servants, and on the left hand, depart from me. Amen. Gracious Father in heaven, we thank you for this time you've given us. We pray, Lord, for the requests that were made, in the, made known. We pray, Lord, for Lee and Daryl. We ask your blessing there, Lord. We pray for this one that uh, Brother John is, has uh, got acquainted with, that he's asked prayer for. We pray for our, our families. We pray for our children and grandchildren. We pray, Lord, that we might be faithful to your word and faithful to the gospel, faithful to our Savior, knowing even in times that we're not, you are faithful, you have delivered us, you will deliver us, you will present us spotless. But that does not give us a license to go out and sin against you. Oh, Lord, forgive us. Where we have fallen short, but we're thankful for the salvation we have in Christ. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.